KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and standing by to join me is director Jay Silverman. We're going to talk about his latest film, Saving Paradise. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm flattered that you're having me on. You know what? I loved having you on previously with your other films. Um, You are like nonstop busy. I love it. We're very lucky. I think that uh, my business model is designed to do a movie every two or three years. And we had a little hiccup because of the pandemic. <laughs> Slightly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What did you do during the pandemic? Were you editing or what was going on with your film? Well, we filmed the movie in 2000, September of 19. Okay. And finished the movie literally one day before LA got locked down, mm. which would have been the end of March. Okay. 2020. So for the last year and a half, We've been uh, waiting for this moment, <laughs> which is September 3rd. Um, uh, release. The distribution Eight. release. Okay. So on a constructive note, it's been a wonderful opportunity for us to work on our next film. <laughs> well, that's good. Which is what we've been doing. That's yeah. good. Uh, I want to back up and ask you, because some people don't know your background, but when did you first know you wanted to go into filmmaking? Because I think you were, you're involved in commercial production, correct? I was involved in commercial production and photography for 30 years. And, uh, and, and then around that time, I started doing commercials. And I did a TV show called The Cleaner for AMC mm-hmm. uh, with Benjamin Bratt. And then we went on to uh, create, as you know, because you interviewed me for my first and second movies. Yes. To, to make uh, now three movies. So we're very excited. We're independent filmmakers. Mm-hmm. I don't do commercials anymore. I don't do photography per se anymore. I make movies. It's great. Yeah, I'm very fortunate. It was, It's interesting, you know, when you reach a certain point in your career and you say, I can really call myself a filmmaker or I can really call myself a, right? It's an interesting thing that you just said because uh, I, I'm, I'm not... Uh, we all have egos, but uh, I still have trouble saying that I'm a filmmaker yeah. because it sounds so cliche, you know? Right. Right. Well, you're humble. Um, but you reach a point where you get so many accolades and you're like, I can really call myself a filmmaker. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I'd like to agree with you, but it is difficult because this we're inundated every day with film descriptives you know, what's going on. It seems like you pick, you can't pick up TikTok or Instagram without seeing, you know, references or, or parodies or what have you on film or filmmaking. And uh, it's a part, it's, it's an incredible uh, opportunity to, to make movies and share them. Mm -hmm. Now tell me the process, walk me through your latest film, Saving Paradise, which I loved. I wish there was a disclaimer, bring Kleenex because I was like, towards the end, I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is so touching. Uh, I'm not going to give anything away. But tell me the process from the beginning. Did you get sure. the script? The, the, the screenplay was procured by uh, my associate, uh, Bethany Serona, who found it on an um, Internet uh, website called Pencil Town was the name of the film. Mm-hmm. And the website was called The Blacklist. And it's not oh, telling, 
yeah, it's not something the public can easily get to. You have to have credentials. You had to have, you know, you got to be a legitimate producer or what have you, but mm -hmm. there are thousands of scripts available. Some are, you know, five stars, some are less than that. And okay. in this particular case, she procured the script. We interviewed the writer named Van Bellet. Uh, he liked our vibe. We liked his vibe. And we spent 2018 developing Penciltown, which later turned into Saving Paradise. Um, mm. It is a, it's, it's an important thing to say since I think that your viewers are interested in the process per se. Right. I think it's important to say that when you acquire a script, um, you, you have a number of tasks that you have to attend to. Number one, affordability. Number two, you know, we love the story, but we can't have it take place at the Sistine Chapel. You know, we can't have right. it, you know, so we got to figure out a way, uh, not unlike yourself, because I can see you get this wonderful set behind you. Mm. I don't know how you can afford that, but it's beautiful. <laughs> um, modern technology enables that. In our case, you know, we had to find a pencil factory, um, which we did, did procure in Tennessee, and we shot the movie here in Los Angeles. So it required a lot of uh, tasking, innovative thinking, and problem solving uh, to, to make this movie. And it starts with the script, because the script didn't change much from what it was when we bought it. It's good. You, you become uh, a kind of a, a master at trying to figure out what is containable and what isn't. Yes. And a lot of that the writer doesn't think about because the writer doesn't uh, decide to write a script that's going to be affordable for Jay Silverman. You know, right. he, writes a, he writes a script just like you wrote yours. Yes. And mm -hmm. at one point you wake up in the morning and you have, you know, decisions to make. Do we want, as stated in the script, 300 people in the background or can we afford just 30? <laughs> you know, exactly. So, and on one level, that's the beginning of the challenge of making independent movies. We don't have budgets like Marvel, you know, right. or Disney. Yeah. Well, and also the challenge of, and I noticed at the end of the film, this was in the fine print, of finding an actual pencil factory because years ago there were, what, 53, and then there's three, and what if they weren't open or what if you couldn't get access and... All yeah, I'll, be, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Um, number one, the pencil factory called Musgrave, which you can Google and see is still in business. Great. Uh, and it's a small little town called Shelbyville in Tennessee. Mm -hmm. And we discovered this because the writer, it's, it's a true story. Uh, the writer interviewed this uh, pencil, the owner of this pencil factory and established a rapport with him. He was initially interested in purchasing that company. Um, and he ended up, um, well, I don't want to really get oh, into go the, give big, it away. The, the big story, but the reality of it is, is that he, he did not buy the, that, that company and um, he tried to buy another one and that company ended up getting acquired by a international uh, company and moved to, to Mexico. So wow. uh, it's part and parcel to the story. And I'm not ashamed to, you know, to go into the details at a level that's not going to give away the movie, but you know, to be perfectly honest with you, uh, I've never been at a pencil factory. I don't even know how they made pencils. So sure. for me to wake up one morning and have somebody um, give me a tour of uh, how to make pencils from A to B, 
I could tell you was 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 a real joy, you know. Sure. I'm a mechanically minded guy. Right. Not to mention all the equipment, everything's 100 years old. I was just going to say, you have a fascinated fascination with like old cameras. I know right. that. So to go and actually see this equipment from years ago is amazing. Right. right. Yeah. It's extraordinary. And I mean, just for the reference, since we're talking to people that are interested in this film and how it might affect them, whether technical or inspirational. Uh, you know, we, the opening of the movie, most of how to make a pencil, I shot on my iPhone. You and, did? Yeah. And, and it wasn't done to save money. It was done because we could do it. Right. You, know, you can drop your phone in the middle of a machine versus bringing a motion picture camera in the middle of a machine is amazing. Huge task. Huge task. That's amazing. I mean, just to have that technology to not have to bring all that big gear. So you basically went there and captured what B-roll kind of footage? Yeah, we captured. Well, it's funny, you know, when when our, our trailer was on, uh, it is on YouTube right now. Uh, you will find that um, there's a couple of comments or one guy made a comment sarcastically about, oh, these these actors are trying to become, uh, you know, uh, pencil makers. And the truth of it is they're all actually real employees at the factory making pencils. That's They're what I thought. Actors. That's and what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. And we we ended up shooting in Los Angeles at a at a furniture factory and brought in props from the pencil factory from uh, Tennessee. And I don't think you can tell which is which. So, I don't think so. and that's exciting because that's yeah. part of what makes filmmaking fulfilling is your ability to to kind of uh, turn the corner of the truth and 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 right. fact and fiction and you need to be adaptable when you don't have a certain thing and you need to get to that point knowing kind of figuring it out which is right. what you did yeah how did you cast well the casting was done in los angeles um and it is you know one of the huge challenging challenges of making a independent movie because number one you want <laughs> noticeable recognizable people and sure. unfortunately you know that costs a lot of money yeah and when you're making an independent film you're working on a very defined budget and um i i can say with all honesty we we're very very fortunate here they uh, were great thank you yeah and i love the guy walter <laughs> well it's interesting um, for your audience, Walter is actually um, an individual who is uh, played in the in the movie as a uh, person suffering from um, a. Uh, what was, I apologize. He's on the spectrum. Yeah. Yeah, I, that's what I thought. He was yeah, on the, the, the descriptive is he's on the spectrum, and sure. you know this was even before we made the movie two and a half years ago. So I'm going to tell you. Nobody stuck a gun on my head and said I had to hire somebody on the spectrum. Mm -hmm. But it turns out that uh, George Steves, who actually plays Walter, is on the spectrum and not very different than oh. Dustin Hoffman was. I was going to mention Dustin Hoffman. Yeah. yeah. He is very similar. His role is very similar mm -hmm. to that character from that movie. Yeah. Um, and I got to tell you, George knocked it out of the park. And he did. He was like the scene stealer. I mean, you know, when he came on the scene, 
he was like the man with the wisdom. You just, you know, <laughs> I loved it. He was a breath of fresh air. But, yeah. you know, for a filmmaker, I, I can't even imagine as we move into this world that we're in now where, you know, uh, you want things to be represented fairly. Mm -hmm. You know, you there are a lot of actors out there with disabilities. And in his particular case, being on the spectrum was a, you know, an, an incredibly helpful thing because I wasn't asking him to be odd or be unique. Yeah. I was asking him to be himself. And mm -hmm. uh, and he really he, he was so dedicated, learned the roles, learned, learned the script and, you know, really, really gave 150 percent. So as a matter of fact, tomorrow we're having a screening in Beverly Hills and he will see the movie for the first time. Really? And oh. he's, super, he's super excited. Super oh, excited. I bet. Yeah. He was excellent. And tell me about your two leads. Well, OK, so uh, we have uh, the, the man. Um, William Mosley is mm -hmm. an individual that I'm sure many of your audience has either heard of or seen. He was the star of Narnia, uh, <laughs> I guess, multiple uh, movies. Yes. And now he's an adult and he just he's British and he did a magnificent job. We really, really enjoyed working with him and he has a heart of gold. And I feel so fortunate to have made a movie with him. He was excellent. And then uh, Johanna Brady. Mm -hmm. is uh, the his counterpart I guess they're both yes. protagonists in this film right. and and he is she's just magnificent it was wonderful because you know when you make a movie uh, you pray that there's going to be chemistry between the two leads right in this particular case you know I don't think we could have been any more fortunate it was and, perfect and to this day you know I still speak to them once or twice a week about promoting the film and stuff and not only are they on board, but, you know, they're they're really, really proud of what they did. They should be. Yeah. Because the chemistry was really there. I mean, I've taken some acting classes and you can just tell when people click and when they don't. And it just it just flowed so well. You could just see the connection. You Thank know, you. it was great. Yeah, it was. It was. I mean, you know, it's interesting as as a as a filmmaker. And I'm telling you this because it's hard not to see some of the films that are being made today on Netflix or on Amazon, mm -hmm. where you know that the actors just met yeah. <laughs> a couple of days before they started shooting. And the chemistry issue, especially with big stars, either works or it doesn't. Right. And if it doesn't work, you know, I think it's a, a real sad day because they're not having the challenges that an independent filmmaker has. That's right. Those movies are big budget movies. Yeah. Without giving too much away, do you want to give a little brief synopsis? Sure. Um, Saving Paradise is, 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 a, is a film not unlike It's a Wonderful Life. It's, it's a story about a small town that basically the, the, the town survives because of this pencil town. Uh, excuse me. Pencil factory. Pencil yeah. factory. And, you know, it's one of the biggest employers besides the cement factory. Mm -hmm. And it is in incredibly important to the blood of uh, the community that it stays in business. And mm -hmm. one day the, you know, the, the factory is in play because one of the, uh, the owner of the factory passes away and the baton is handed off. And, you know, I think uh, you're talking a wonderful story about, 
um, a family that owns the factory that inherits the one of the children inherits the factory and you find yourself in a in a, in a real division because one is a investment banker living in on Wall Street and another right. one is the father who's passed away who's running this this little pencil factory and sure. the best solution is just hire a broker and sell it and they don't do that and it's yeah. uh, all it's right, a, no more, no more. Yeah, it's, a, <laughs> it's an exciting process. Yeah. But I mean, I want to share one thing. Yes. Not that you wouldn't have asked me the same question, but, you know, the timeliness of this film is a crucial aspect of why I made the movie. Because you can go back when I developed in 2018, you know, we were a divided country and we still are a divided country. Right. And for us to work on a movie and it's not a political film, but for us to work on a movie that really genuinely supports unity mm -hmm. and community, you know, this was what attracted me to this making this movie because yeah. this is what America is. Yeah. It's Americana, you know, yes. to fight for the community, to yes. save the community. It's all those things. Sure. Well, and also, I love the idea of somebody choosing to not go to work in New York and working on something that is going to keep a community together. It's not his dream job by right. any means, right? right? But he's choosing family and saving something that, you know, can help a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a choice, you know, as we get older, it's a choice we all make. Right. And I think, you know, I made a decision to make movies that are purposeful. You know, you know, my first movie was about uh, post-traumatic stress and, right. and bullying, and it's still a, a really, really controversial like and, and yeah. relevant subject. And yes. this is, this to me is a huge moment in time when we got to reflect on what makes us who we are. Right, yeah. And the script was so well-written in that it had a lot of like, curveballs in the second act like you think this is going to happen no you think the things the day is going to be saved no and it, it just it, it was so exciting and and so moving at the end and that's all i'll say yeah well i mean it's part of the journey that every filmmaker wants to work on a property i say a property a script that has a lot of uh, uh emotional turns ups mm -hmm. and downs yes but in real life, that's the way life is anyways, you know? It's true. It's true. And yeah. That's what I seeked. And that's what Bethany was attracted to when she found this property. And we began to develop it into something that actually becomes a real movie. And yeah. there, there lies the excitement because it's funny. I told you I was just working on a little opening speech for my screening tomorrow. And, you know, the primary subject that I want to talk about for three, four minutes about is the dream of being able to wake up one morning and have, a, you know, 110 pages sitting in my hand and jump forward a, a year and a half and have completed the movie in yeah. 19 days, no less. 19 and days? Yeah, that's what, that's, what it, that's what it takes to make a movie for a very small budget and uh, a lot of logistical organizational aspects that I believe, you know, are yeah. equally as important as a great script. You can't make a movie in, you know, let's just say 20 days without 
being incredibly buttoned up. Yes. Yeah. I feel like your background in commercial production prepared you, you know, I mean, obviously it's a different arena, but just that mindset prepared you for where you are now. Well, there's no doubt that it, that it makes it easier for me because I'm very uh, confident in my choices of what I choose to do and what I choose mm-hmm. not to do. You know, yeah. I mean, if yeah. somebody, if somebody told me in the world that we're living in currently right now, I want to shoot for, you know, two weeks in Manhattan on the streets, I'd probably say, sounds like fun, you know, mm-hmm. but you know, the, what time of year are you shooting? You know, you exactly. know, horrible weather, you're screwed, you know, right. and this is, these are the things that you learn after doing what I've done for 35 years. And right. that is, you know, you don't want to go there. You don't want to go here. Someone says, you got to hire this actor. He's fantastic. And then I go, oh, you know, why don't you Google him on and learn about how difficult he is? Yes, exactly. And, and, and I say that only as an illustration because my whole career was filled with challenges where I would be working with a very, very famous individual. And they would say, the whole reason we hired you, Jay, was because we know you're going to get it done. It wasn't because I was going to do it great. It was because there was an assurance that I was going to accomplish what they needed because the reputation of that individual, Mm -hmm. trust me, is a, uh, you know, (laughs) is, and it's kind of crazy because it has nothing to do with, with filmmaking. It has to do with psychology and your ability to be able to man the ship. Right. Yeah. Well, it sounds like this latest project was an incredibly meaningful you know, production to work on. Yeah, it was. It was um, very rewarding, very rewarding. Any advice you'd give people that uh, want to become filmmakers? Sure. Get into this industry and they are feeling like they are in a funk professionally. Well, I think, you know, I've got three daughters and there's nothing more important to me than to do and to preach doing what you love. Mm-hmm. because I don't care how much you're paid. I don't care who's got a gun to your head. The reality of it is, is if you're not doing something fulfilling, yeah. you know, you're, you're, especially in America, you know, you're missing an opportunity. And, right. um, you know, you mentioned prior to us starting this interview about uh, what you do and how you affect young people in schools uh, right. with these programming, with the programming you do. I mean, as a filmmaker, you have similar responsibilities. You know, I would like for just one person to walk out of the theater and go, you know what? I, I'm inspired. And, you know, if I was sitting in front of a group of uh, 25 filmmakers that have aspirations, I think you know as well as I do that probably only about two of them are going to even attempt to succeed because right. it takes work, it takes hard work. It does. And it begins with somebody turning on somebody like yourself mm-hmm. and watching other people tell their stories. Yes. So, you know, my advice to any young filmmaker is to you know, get an apprenticeship, work for somebody that you respect. That's what I did. And, uh, and, uh, and be inspired by that. Right. And it's be crazy. open, yeah. be open to people that you'll meet to opportunities that you might think, Oh, what am I taking this for? But it could lead to something else or help you grow in some way unexpected. I know this sounds crazy and it'll show my age, but when I was 17, I was working for a photographer and 
the first day he took me on the set of uh, All in the Family, okay? And then <laughs> the second day we went and shot Kung Fu with Carradine. Oh, yeah. And the following week, it was Manic. You know, these are the biggest shows on television. And here I was 17. Wow. And, you know, so I look at that and I think to this day, or Laverne and Shirley, for example, mm -hmm. you know, uh, that's what was my beginning. And that's what my inspiration was. But I didn't get in that situation by accident. I propelled myself out of a class of, you know, 40 high school students that didn't choose to write a letter to that filmmaker and say, I wow. want to be a part of that. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah. But you so had drive. You had drive to want to do that, you know. And, you know, it's easier said than done, but I do believe you know, that, uh, and I tell this to Bethany, my producer, I'm, I'm, I'm mesmerized by the fact that so few people do it. Yeah. I'm Does that make sense? I, I mean, I'll tell you one story. Okay? Yeah. No, go ahead. This is a great story. I'm shooting on, I have three stages in Hollywood. Okay. On one stage, I'm shooting Ray Charles on a big project for Powerball on another stage. I'm prepping a huge project for Gatorade with Michael Jordan. Well, and on another stage, I'm pre-building sets to walk on the moon with, I forget his name. Um, no, it wasn't Lance Armstrong. <laughs> Bicycle guy. Oh, no, it God. was uh, whoever walked on the moon. I forgot uh, at the beginning. You mean the actual person that walked on the yeah, moon? Yeah, not, not, not Armstrong? No, no that, that's... The Russian? No, we're talking about kind of his pictures right up on the wall. What does it say right up there? But anyways, so I, I'm sharing Buzz with Aldrin. you Buzz Aldrin. Oh, Buzz okay. Aldrin, yeah. Okay, so I'm walking in the parking lot, and I swear to you from God's mouth to your ears, you know, I'm saying to you that I meet this young man at the gate of my studio, and he says to me, Mr. Silverman, would you give me an opportunity? This is a true story. And I look at him, and I said, look, I said, I'm so busy right now. If you want to hang around, be here at 6.30 tomorrow morning. So he shows up mm -hmm. and he's going to hang around. And, I, you know, the reality of it is there's 100 people here, okay? Yeah. At the end of the day, we had shot Ray Charles um, in three different sets. Pretty significant amount of energy. And I say to him, hey, how did it go, John? And he looks at me. And he says, well, I thought I could use the camera or something with a straight face. And I said, what are you talking about? He goes, no, I mean, I thought I was going to be able to actually work with the camera. Sure. And I said, God, I'm so sorry. I said, well, I said, you know, normally you just want to just take it all in and learn. And so I'll see you tomorrow. And he says, nah, I'm good enough. <laughs> I'll never forget that. And, and, and it, 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 it's my extreme example Mm -hmm. of an opportunity wasted okay yeah now, whatever that guy made of his career i have no idea sure that opportunities like this are available right it's just you got to be assertive and you got to be ambitious and you got to want it right. want to do it but yeah. to think that he actually thought that he could operate my camera it was insanity yeah right. i mean you know. exactly <laughs> so that so that might go in the category of unrealistic expectations <laughs> yeah i would think i would say so you know yeah. Anything else you'd like people to know about you or the work you do? You know, um, uh, I think my commitment is to do purposeful projects mm -hmm. in my life. 
there's nothing more important than sharing um, stories that could change your life, that could inspire you, that could make you a better person, that, that might make you go, wow, I never, I'm watching a series right now on Netflix. I won't mention the name of it, but I'm learning about World War II stuff that I never knew before, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, Bethany is searching for a project for me about the Holocaust that is different than any story I've ever heard. And the yeah. outcome of it is I'm now seeing stories about people that, you know, I didn't know. There's a wonderful movie called The Photographer. That's a Spanish movie. That's about concentration camps for Spaniards in wow. Germany. I never knew that existed. No. Not Jewish. They're Spaniards that were essentially in prison for being at the wrong place at the wrong time. Wow. I never knew that. Yeah, exactly. You know, so this idea that um, you as a filmmaker have an ability to be able to share a story that nobody's ever heard. This is why I love Malcolm Gladwell, because here's a guy that essentially explores episode after episode after episode stories that were kind of left alone and finished, mm-hmm. but they're untrue. They're not yeah. completed. I like that. And he comes back at you and goes, well, in as much as you might have believed what you heard, what really happened after analytics and all the politics and all the press disappeared is X, Y, Z. Yeah. And I just am mesmerized by that. I love that. Totally mesmerized. I'm going to have to check that out. I mean, I'll just share this with you because I, I know that your people would listen to this. Okay. He tells, he tells a story about the Toyota uh, cars that were running out of, uh, into other cars or crashing. Okay. It's a true story. It happened, okay. I think, seven or eight years ago. You mean and the self-driven cars? You mean the- No, no, no. These are cars, maybe it's 10 years ago. Okay. But Toyota cost them $3 billion to fight this case and pay people- Whoa for the damages, but the cars would essentially not stop. Okay? <gasps> and what ended up happening is, is the ploy that was used by the, the, the prosecution was to keep playing back this uh, audio tape of a woman in the back seat of this uh, Lexus that uh, was describing to the police that her car could not stop. Okay. And her husband and her and two other people all died and the audio plays the entire moment. Oh, maybe it's maybe, you know, 30 seconds long. Okay. That's what made Toyota get screwed. Okay. And the outcome of it is now years later, Malcolm Gladwell goes in, reassesses this whole story. Mm -hmm. And it's determined that for some reason, nobody wanted to look at the real evidence. And that is nobody ever touched the brakes in all the accidents. What? So it's a, it was a psychological event that is physically a reality that uh, people thought that the gas pedal was the brake pedal. They pressed it so hard that it got stuck under the mat and subsequently the cars crashed. And the real truth of it is that did happen. But what all the black boxes said in all the cars was the brake was never touched. So. That's a fascinating story That is about, about something that went on for three, four years and litigation and hundreds of millions of dollars. And then the outcome of it is they paid it off and it went away. But now he's revealing 
these facts. And we're talking about expert after expert after expert says it's true. You know, why did nobody touch the brakes? And right. we bring on psychologists and the psychologists say, well, there's no reason uh, to get overly uh, complex here. They didn't think they were pressing the brake. Was there a certain uh, age yeah. that we're in accidents? Certain age, certain age that we're in these accidents or all most different of, ages? Most of them were regular, uh, you know, people in their all 30s different ages? 40. No, the, m- most of them were, I think, over 30. But okay. the interesting part of it is, is I just took my car in to get fixed mm-hmm. and they gave me a, you know, a rental for the day. And I did exactly the same thing that's explained in this show, which is I inadvertently, because I'm not familiar with that car, no different than the one with the audio tape I just described. They were driving this car for the very first time. And when I put the car in, in, in drive, I actually put it in reverse. It's just Whoa. Because I'd never driven it before. Nobody stops you and says, don't drive until you make yourself familiar with the car. I know you really have to. Well, none I know. Of us do. None I know. Of- no, you're right. You're right. It's like, do we read the directions on most things? No. Exactly. So, <laughs> So look, you know, I mean, I tell this story because it's a it's a just a fragment of some of the things I've learned from this one man. Mm-hmm. And I feel the same way about filmmakers who explore subjects that I'm unfamiliar with, you know? Yes. So here I've given you an example of, of World War II movies that are new shows that are available for people to watch about World War II. And they don't deal with, you know, just the concentration camps. They deal with this idea you know, that the complexity of this whole moment was yes. not just isolated to this horrible event with, with Jews and, and, and you know, it, which is despicable, horrible moment in history. But there are so many incredible other stories that right. existed at the very same time that, you know, I mean, stories that should be told. Are worth telling. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Yep. So what's your website for people to check out your work? You can go to uh, jsilverman.com, which is probably the easiest, or jsilvermanproductions.com. Okay. Productions.com. And you can see the new project that I'm working on called Yale. Okay, good. And Yale is is very exciting. And that's what we've been working on for the last year and a half. Good. What's it been like releasing this film in the pandemic? Uh, Very unique. I'm telling everybody because I'm a positive guy that the timing couldn't be more perfect <laughs> just by virtue of the fact that the movie, even though it's playing in theaters in certain markets, mm-hmm. the truth of it is it's available on Amazon and it's available on iTunes and Spectrum and Rico or whatever. But the outcome of it is, is that, um, you know, we never expected the movie to, to play in theaters and it's playing in theaters, you know, good. And that's number one. Number two, um, you know, we're all uh, at various levels in the pandemic. If right. you're in Los Angeles, it's that's where I am. It's not mm-hmm. so horrible, but I've got friends that live in Florida and live in in, uh, in Texas or mm-hmm. whatever. You know that are yeah, not it's such really a pretty not such a pretty picture. Right. But they're all able to watch my movie on uh, streaming and on demand, yeah, on demand and that that's yeah. exciting. Yes. Yeah. And we need positivity and we need films to keep us lifted, you know? You know, you know, it's it's so important because 
I'm so grateful that you've had me on. Um, I've had uh, a number of wonderful interviews. And when, when you hear people say this is a movie America's got to see, mm-hmm. or you hear people say that, you know, it, it, it is wonderful to refresh ourselves to what it was like when we all were unified. And I'm not uh-huh. talking that we'll ever be politically unified, but I'm talking about where people help each other yes. for a better cause. Yes. It, it, it breaks my heart, you know, that uh, we um, are where we are. We are where we are. And it is, uh, I don't know, I just feel like my movie, whether you're on the left or the right, is going to inspire you. I would say so. I loved it. You did? Give me a quote. <laughs> Let me, I'll send you a quote because I. it was so meaningful in so many ways. Would you do that? I'd be very Yeah, grateful. I'll send you a quote. I, you know what? And I love the unexpected little surprises at the end, but I'll craft something, send it to you. Thank you so much. I absolutely will. All right, congrats. This was great. Well, I hope that um, you're, the people that watch you are inspired by what we discussed and, and uh, look for Saving Paradise, September 3rd. Excellent. And all the information is on the show blog, getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. Thank you so much. My pleasure. You made my day. Excellent.